Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Second Cup podcast for our next episode in the Joshua Year series, Fear, Freedom, and What Happens in Between. If this is the first time you're tuning in, you can find chapters one through four on the Second Cup Substack site or on Apple Podcasts. We've been over here talking about fear and anxiety and how God can help us get free of that. In last week's episode, Grace, That Elusive Gift, we talked about the fear that God's grace couldn't possibly apply to us. Spoiler alert, it can and it does. It's something that I need to continually remind myself. And if you're with me on that, I recommend going back and giving it a listen. Today, we are going to talk about possibly the number one fear that can take over and rule our hearts and minds. I recently read a study of uh, the top 10 things that Americans are afraid of, and I don't know, something like three or four of them all had to do with something bad happening to their loved ones. And that brings us into this episode, The One Worst Thing, because today we're going to talk about the fear that we will receive bad news, the fear that we will be going on about our happy days and receive a phone call that changes everything, that ruins everything, that crumbles everything. And this fear, probably above all the other fears, is the one that I have struggled with most in my life. And so I'm going to share um, a chapter or two from the Joshua year that deals with this topic. But I will say that I don't think I'm quite there yet either. This is a fear that I still struggle with but that God is so good and good at meeting me at. He's so gracious. And so I'm going to share what I've learned so far in my life about moving past this fear. And I would love to hear your feedback too on what helps you. So let's get started and maybe we'll chat a little bit more at the end. And I just can't wait to hear uh, your feedback on this. I want to know what helps you. So fear, I always say, is darkest around three in the morning when there's no one to talk any sense into you. Ethan, my husband, he's in the produce business. And so there are a lot of mornings when he gets up hours before dawn and drives to his warehouse to unload a truck and to send another on its way. The morning I'm going to tell you about was one of those mornings. It was only November, and today we're going to talk about snow. I apologize. I know that many of us are not ready for that prospect. (laughs) But it was only November, and it had already snowed the whole day before. And the weatherman had been warning that freezing rain would leave a thick layer of ice on the roads. Ethan's alarm sounded its loud cry in the middle of the night, and though he tried to be quiet... I heard his every movement, fumbling in the dark to get dressed, a wrestling in the kitchen, then a bagel pressed into the toaster, 
an opened door, and the reluctant grumbling of a cold engine starting inside. Not inside, outside. The harsh scraping of plastic on ice, a kick of his boots before he came back inside. A kiss goodbye for me, and then the door opening and closing once more, this time with finality. Red taillights shining through the window, and then the crackling of tires driving down the crusted driveway. My lungs could not fill with air. My shallow breathing left them gasping, unfulfilled. I remember laying there awake, hyper alert to every sound in our house, and thought in my mind. I pulled my phone close to my head, expecting it to ring with bad news before the night was over. A string of horrible scenarios played on repeat in my mind's eye. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever found yourself laying awake in the middle of the night just waiting, waiting for the sun to come up and that night to be over and to hear that nothing bad happened? To get the news that everything was just fine? That the horrible things that you imagined did not come true? My fear was surrounding me in that inky black darkness. I began an unconscious prayer that streamed from my mind in a single pleading strand. It didn't make me feel any better. It was just stained with this ugly, irrational doubt. See, deep down, even though I might not admit it to myself, I was believing that my prayers wouldn't change a thing. It had seemed like there had been a lot of times in the past that they hadn't. I had answered too many of those bad news phone calls, the ones that came on bluebird days and ruined everything. And so I was finding that it never felt safe to be too happy, as if happiness itself could make my phone ring or could make the person on the other end tearful, hesitant to talk. So I lay awake after Ethan left, my brain running its fingers all over the memories of these bad news things I had gotten in the past. I pleaded that God would just give me a rest from grief for a while, that he would see my heartbreak and how weak I had become and say, enough. I just desperately wanted morning to come when the roads would be salted and Ethan would call and I would know that I still had my husband at least for another day. Maybe during daylight hours, it seems irrational that I was so worried that something bad would happen to Ethan. But if you, like me, have ever laid awake in the middle of the night, you know that irrationality doesn't play by the rules. And being surrounded by the darkness, our minds can go wild imagining the worst case scenario. I imagine that just maybe the Israelites felt the same type of desperation for morning to come on the evening of their exodus from Egypt. For 430 long years, Egypt had been their home, but then God had decided to lead them into a new home. And Pharaoh had urged the Israelites to leave so quickly after the final plague that they didn't even have time to let their bread rise. They swept their unleavened dough under their cloaks, gathered their livestock, and ushered their families out the door and into this wide open wilderness. I imagine the breath rising in their throats too that their their chest tightened as they looked back, knowing they would never return. The mothers mourning their baby sons that would not make the journey with them. 
the grandfather sighing at the long trip ahead and wondering if they would ever actually make it to see the promised land. The children with their sleepy eyes and already tired legs stumbling along and dreaming of just being in their own beds. Everyone, everyone waiting for morning to come to see what things were going to be like now. Oh, the Israelites could not see the path spread before them. There was no tidy map to follow that would lead them from Egypt to the promised land. And all that they had was the Lord. Oh, they knew they couldn't see that how they were going to make it from the desert to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so their only option was to keep their eyes on him. I imagine they looked for him all that night, watching and waiting and breathing heavily in anticipation to find out how he was going to lead them next. And they didn't look away from him. I think there's a lesson to be learned from the Israelites. When it's the middle of the night and anxiety rises from our bellies and we don't know what the morning will bring, what we need to do is watch for the Lord. We've got to tear our eyes away from the darkness and fix them instead on the Lord. So that night, as I lay awake pleading that something bad wouldn't happen, I pulled my Bible into my lap and the binding naturally rendered itself to the book of Psalms. The passage before me was hardly coincidental. And I'll stop to say, that happens all the time. I pick up my Bible all the time and open it up and it is the perfect passage for the moment. And it is not coincidental. If you're struggling with something, give it a try. Pick up your Bible. See where it, the binding naturally renders. See what you open to. It might just be exactly what you need today. I ran my fingers over the words and held the pages to my chest. I closed my eyes and thanked God for his perfect timing. This is what the psalm had said. It was Psalm 112, verse 7 through 8. He is not afraid of bad news, it said. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Yes, I thought. I want that. I want my doubting, limping heart to know what it felt like to be steady again. I want to trust in the Lord. I was so tired of being afraid of bad news. I fell asleep with my Bible open across my lap as I wondered what that might actually look like. I woke to a weak light filling the bedroom. Morning had come. I looked at my phone, but no one had called. No bad news. I remembered the verse from the night before, and when I got out of bed, I went to the kitchen to find something on which to write it down. I scratched it onto a yellow sticky note and changed all the pronouns from he to she because I wanted so badly for it to be me. I stuck it to the fridge, then taped it down for good measure. I stepped back and read it once again. He is not afraid. She is not afraid of bad news. Her heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Her heart is steady. She will not be afraid. I committed those words to memory before moving on to make my morning coffee. 
that morning I wrote this poem. It's called Hush. Hushing evergreens into idyllic solitude, coating walkways with slippery cotton, delighting children into joyous snow angels, slowing travelers to a respectful crawl, pushing the weary into restful isolation, cushioning the soul from the harsh-edged world, cheering dogs with chilly breaths of zip, inspiring the poet with its pinkish-gray beauty. Daring the deadened world to dream once again, snow. That snow had come early that winter in our first house. On the morning after that first November storm, I pushed the front door open and snow spilled over the top of my boots. It sank down to my bare feet and melted there. Pablo put his nose to the ground and after a quick snort, smiled with recognition and dove into the new accumulation. Though it was still morning, or though it was morning, the sky was still black. The snowflakes shone brightly against the dark canvas. They were abundant, but lazy, drifting this way and that, before finally coming to rest upon the birches and the ground and my eyelashes. Pablo's fur was soon coated, and he looked like a soft, woolly lamb. The trees nearest the house were illuminated by the porch light, and I noticed how they accepted their new burden with humility. Gracious hosts to this inevitable seasonal visitor. I stared heavenward for a long time. This time of year always felt like bad news. It was a reminder that death was inevitable. I know that this time of year, going into the holiday season, um, and the shorter days and the longer nights can be a really difficult time for people. I understand. I thought again of loss and I tried to remember the words from Psalms I had written down. I was wary of the grief and the fear that I I felt creeping in on the fringes of the incoming snow. When we went inside, I poured a cup of coffee and brought it to the couch so I could peer out the window and watch the snow come down. The gray light of dawn leaked onto the horizon. The snow had turned our front yard into a wonderland. It made me think of when we were very small and my mother would help my sister Rachel and I build huts into the sides of snowbanks. We would build little shelves into the walls so at night when it was very dark and very cold, we could set candles on them for light. I remember how the seat of my pants would be the first thing to freeze while we all sat out there huddled together. But those candles and the stars and my mom and Rachel squeezed in tight beside me kept me from complaining too much. I didn't have any complicated feelings about the winter back then. I was just in awe of how quiet and pure and new it felt to sit silently in our hut, breathing the cold night air in and out of my lungs. But now, it was more complicated. I felt both terribly comforted and afraid of it all, that world outside my window. As I contemplated the snow swirling outside the window, I heard God stepping in, intervening, breaking up the pattern of my thoughts. I heard it in my brain and in my chest and deep inside my gut. His murmurings reverberated in my heart so loudly that I simply could not mistake them for anything else. Go ahead, the Holy Spirit whispered. I knew what he meant. I was on the other side of the window, admiring the beauty. 
I wanted so badly to surrender to it, but I couldn't allow myself to be completely taken with it. Not the way I could when I was a little girl watching the handles flicker inside our snow hut. Whenever I wanted to give in, to feel that excitement, that joy, that wonder, fear put out its hand and pressed me back again. No need to be afraid anymore, God said, this time making the chambers of my heart vibrate slightly. But it's not that easy, I argued. I watched the steam from my coffee swirl into the air. I've tried to get it over it again and again, and I can't. I'm stuck. But even as I said it, I could feel a lightness stirring within me. I have seen your worry. I see how it's holding you back. But I, I have set the promised land ahead of you. Come take my hand. It's time to be free. I'll show you the way. I sat by the window until it was nearly light outside. I gulped the last dredges in my coffee, and the bitter taste brought me back to the moment. The must-dos of a busy day in the classroom were enough to make me push Pablo off my lap and move on with my morning. I put my mug in the sink and stood there for a moment, searching around the pit of my stomach for a sign of any change. The worry was there, yes. It wiggled uncomfortably in its old, familiar place. But I also noticed a glimmer of something new in there. What was it riding in on that gray, smoky, fresh air? It was a sweet, silver wisp of hope. So, as we close out this chapter, I guess the takeaways are, one, keep your eyes on the Lord. It's so easy to stare into the darkness because darkness is all around us. The news, the things that we hear happening to people all around us, it's easy to focus on those things. And it's easy to wonder and worry, well, when will one of these bad things happen to me? Or maybe you're living the one worst thing right now. And you don't know if you're ever going to get out of it. I once read or heard somebody say, I wish I could give credit to who it was, but I can't remember where I heard it. But they were talking about the things that we imagine that could happen, the bad things, the one worst thing. And they gave the advice to follow it all the way down. In other words, instead of thinking about it and being afraid of it, and to just really think, okay, if this thing really happened, how would I handle it? How would I survive? What would it really look like? And something that encourages me when I follow the bad news or the worst case scenarios all the way down, but I find at the bottom is God still there, still loving us, still offering his salvation, still offering eternal life, still saying, I know, I know, but I'm here with you still. 
when Jesus was on the cross, right before he died in that moment when he felt so separated from God and he was experiencing so much pain, he said, God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In likely the hardest moment of Jesus's life, the worst case scenario, him dying on the cross. What did he do? He said, Jesus or God into your hands, I commit my spirit. I felt anxious this morning when I dropped the kids off at daycare. I don't know why. Their daycare is the most lovely, wonderful place. But I had that feeling, that worry, that something bad could happen to them. And I love them so desperately. And sometimes loving desperately, the result is we fear desperately too, that something will take what we love away. But I wasn't about to sit in that fear all day long. So what I said was, God, into your hands, I commit my children's spirits. And in doing doing so, it felt like I was taking our kids that I was holding so tightly and fearfully against my chest and opening my hands and letting them run into God's arms. And knowing that no matter what could possibly happen to our children, that if they were in God's arms, ultimately, they would be okay. Whew, it's taken me a long time to get to that point. There's so much that I still clutch to my chest. But when I'm clutching things fearfully to myself, worried that bad news is going to snatch them away, I'm also not able to experience complete happiness, full joy. It's like I'm just tiptoeing on the outsides of life. I'm on one side of the window observing the beauty but not able to fully partake it. Do you feel like that too? Do you feel like you want to relax, soak in the beauty, embrace life, but you just can't because you're spending your energy and your mind clutching to the things you love so dearly, trying to protect them from bad news. Today, what I would encourage you to try doing is to say, God, into your hands, I commit my children. Into your hands, I commit my physical health. Into your hands, I commit my job, this relationship, this person struggling with this disease. I don't know what you are going to do with it when they're in your hands, but I do know you're going to do it with love. And I know you're going to do it with your all-knowing power. All right, friends. I think that's it for today. Let's end in a prayer today because I think that this is a fear that weighs more heavily on our hearts and minds than possibly anything else in life. Dear Lord, thank you for every single person who found their way to this episode of the Second Cup Podcast. 
I pray that whatever they are dealing with today, whatever is the one worst thing that they're afraid of, God, I pray that that is the very thing that they are able to commit into your hands. And I pray that when that thing is in your hands, you will deal with it and them with tenderness, mercy, love, and your all-knowing wisdom. We thank you that you are a tender God who holds on to all of our cares so that we can experience the joy and the peace and the happiness that you have presented us with in this world. We love you. Amen. I'll be back next week and we'll keep talking about the next territory of our heart that we can set free. Have a wonderful week, Second Cup listeners. Thanks for tuning in.